0: Welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger. And today, I'm flying solo on the intro and outro, as Jeff is hard at work working on numerous projects, but you'll have an opportunity to hear him during the interview. In the meantime, I want to let all of you know about the wonderful events that will be happening in Southern California over the next couple of months. And as always, there will be links in the show notes as well as on the website so that you will be able to check out all of these events and RSVP as well as purchase tickets. So first up, Gallery Nucleus will be presenting The Art of Solo, A Star Wars Story on Sunday, June 3rd. From 2 p.m. to 5 p.m., it's going to feature the author of the book, Phil sawstack as well as one of the visual development artists, Patrick Fallwetter. There will be an artist discussion panel, Q&A, and book signing, so make sure to check out the website to RSVP for that. And next up, Loop de Loop will be returning to the Downtown Independent on Thursday, June 7th at 8 p.m. The event is free, so come one, come all to watch some amazing looping animation. And very proud to announce that Jeff completed his loop-de-loop, so hopefully his will be included in the showcase. And then on June 9th and 10th, the Ground Zero Animation Expo will be happening at the Boys and Girls Club in Stanton, California. We've been talking it up for months. It has finally arrived! I am so excited, you guys. I'm going to be exhibiting for the very first time. And not only myself, but you'll also have an opportunity to meet previous podcast guests, Chris Wimberly, Cassie Soliday, Chelsea Kenna, Christine Knopp, Morgan Gill, Nick Gregory, Steven Silver, and this week's guest, along with other fabulous professionals and up-and-coming artists, There's going to be panels, workshops. You'll have a chance to buy some amazing merch, meet a lot of different people. It's going to be very, very fun. The last two years that I attended, I very much enjoyed the event, and I know that all of you out there will enjoy it as well. So make sure to stop by and say hello, and looking forward to seeing all of you there. Next up, on Saturday, June 9th, UCLA is hosting TFT Film Festival Animation Extravaganza, which will be held at the James Bridges Theater. Make sure to check out the website for that. It promises to be an excellent show with animated shorts created by students attending UCLA. Also happening in the month of June, CTN Meetup presents Impressions, Gouache and Oil Works by Tiffany Meng. Tiffany Meng, as y'all may remember from a... Previous announcement in the episode was one of the painters who worked on the Oscar nominated film Loving Vincent. So she is going to be having a solo show and the opening reception is on June 14th from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. at Urban Press Winery. So you'll want to RSVP for that. And her show will feature a small gallery of plein air gouache and oil paintings created during Tiffany's travels around California and Europe. So for all of you plein air painter fans out there, or for those of you who just want to meet Tiffany or taste some delicious wine or all of the above, make sure to check out that event. And then on Saturday, June 23rd, from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m., they're going to have the Art of Incredibles 2 panel and book signing. And that's going to feature Deanna Margulies, who is the Character Art Director, Teddy Newton, the Creative Consultant and Character Designer, and Josh Holtzclaw, the Graphic Arts Director. And again, you'll want to make sure to check out the website so that you can RSVP and purchase tickets. And then in July, there are two very interesting events for anime fans. The first is Project Anime, which will be held on Tuesday, July 3rd through Wednesday, July 4th and it's being put on by the Society for the Promotion of Japanese Animation. And then also starting on Wednesday, July 4th, will be Anime Expo 2018. So tickets to both events are still available, so you'll want to make sure to check that out right away. And also, coming down the pipe will be Comic Con happening in San Diego in July, as well as Creative Talent Network Expo and Designer Con in November. I know that for Designer Con, if you want a booth, you can sign up for the waitlist. And for CTNX, tables and booths are still available. So if you're thinking about exhibiting at CTNX, If you get your table or booth now you can still save some money and make sure to plan to come out in november because you will have an opportunity to be both myself and cassie soliday we are sharing a table at ctnx so we look forward to meeting you all in november more details about that as we get closer to the date and now that brings us to what we've been watching what i've been watching has been a lot of fun i started watching monty python's flying circus I had seen Monty Python and The Holy Grail. I had never actually seen their sketch comedy show, which came out in 1969. I'd never actually watched the show. It's a lot of fun. And I have to say, for those of you who are fans of Saturday Night Live or In Living Color or The State or Mad TV, Monty Python's Flying Circus is essentially the precursor for all of those shows. There's definitely a through line of their humor permeating into the humor of today. It's very fun. It's very weird. It's very British. I recommend it. I think that y'all would like it, so make sure to check that out. And I also started to watch Aggretsuko, which is on Netflix, and that show is good, but it makes me sad <laughs> because everything that that adorable red panda girl is going through is... Horrible and terrible and I can relate to all of it and I'm not done with the series yet but I hope that things work out for her because Her life is rough. So I recommend that show as well. And that brings us now to the main event So we were very happy to have the amazingly talented and awesome Andrea Gerstmann on the show today who was a fantastic guest. She has done so much. She is an animator, a background painter, a character designer, a storyboard artist. She's one of those people who can do everything and it didn't just happen out of the blue. She worked extremely hard to get to where she is today and I know that all of you out there will very much enjoy hearing what she has to say and learning more about her journey and all the fantastic things that she's been working on. So without further ado, I'm very happy to present Episode 72, Interview with Andrea Gerstmann. So our guest today is Andrea Gerstmann. Andrea, it is a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for stopping by.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. So we always like to start with people's origin stories and yours is really cool. So please tell us, where are you from?
1: I'm from Canada, north of Toronto, a suburb. And I drew as a kid all the time and I painted. I My parents always put me in lessons and everything to the point where like through school when we were learning art, it was always like really boring, like behind <laughs> what I had already learned. So I was just one of those kids that I was always drawing and painting and
2: that's
0: really cool, because on the show, we actually have only had a handful of people who started taking lessons when they were very young. So was that something that you asked your parents and said, I would really like to learn this? Or was this something that they saw that you were doing this and thought, oh, she has an aptitude and an interest in this. We should help her pursue this. I, I think it was
1: a bit of both. I was doing it regardless, but my parents wanted to help
0: me out and
1: put me in things I liked. They were always looking for different things that we could do, <laughs> you know, like we went sports and whatever, just after school stuff to keep us busy. And for me, it was definitely art was a big one.
0: Excellent. And then growing up, what were some of your favorite shows or books or movies or comics that really inspired you?
1: I really did like Disney cartoons and stuff and Lion King and Aladdin and, you know, all of those, (laughs) the ones that were big at the time. And in terms of like art, I really liked nature art. In Canada, there's this guy called Robert Bateman who just did really realistic animals and stuff. And I like that. And so a lot of my art growing up was realistic stuff. It wasn't cartoony stuff. I didn't get into that until partway through university.
2: (laughs) 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 When you saw those Disney movies and cartoons, did you think, even at a young age, like, oh, I want to get into that? Or was it something completely different than what you were thinking
1: about? No, I, I had no idea. I saw cartoons, and I think I was one of those people that didn't get that it had to be made. (laughs)
2: <laughs> mm-hmm,
1: like yeah. you looked at it and you were just like oh that's a cool drawing like it's cool that that drawing moves on its own you know <laughs> 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 independence <laughs> of anyone
2: <laughs> they hired those drawings
1: yeah yeah nice. they just happened so, you know, they were so much less detailed than the realistic paintings that I like to do. I, I thought, oh, yeah, that stuff's easy. Like, I didn't know that you had to draw like, all the frames and all that stuff and figure out the motion and everything. It wasn't until I was in university, I, I took fine art because I wanted to go into art. I didn't know that. Fine art was postmodernism at the time. Basically, after the 70s or in the 70s, they revolted against really doing the technical old masters, quote unquote, art. And it was all this postmodernist stuff, which was like found objects and like acting sort of things or like literally one of them that's I always refer to because it's kind of funny is there was a guy that canned his own poop and sold it to people as art. Oh, like,
0: wow. <laughs> did he sell it as canned poop? Yes. Or did he try to sell it as something fancier? No, he, he
1: oh. said what it was. Wow. But it was it was like a concept art stuff, right? So you have this concept of, oh, I'm going to sell poop as art. So that's what they were really going for when I was in school. And I just wanted to draw things and paint things. And it wasn't until I got a summer job doing caricatures and everybody else that did caricatures was in animation. They were all animation students and they were like so into it. There was like the technical stuff that I liked and just fun and it's funny. And that's when I kind of changed my mind. (laughs) stepped away from the really realistic stuff and started going cartoony and working on animation on my own basically
0: Where did you go to university
1: School called Queens University in Kingston Canada. It's actually Canada's oldest university. It predates Canada becoming Canada. Oh my gosh. So
0: so that sounds like that was very fortunate for you to be able to see characters and go, oh, like you said, this is everything that I like plus people are liking it as opposed to canned poop and <laughs> other such things. Alright, yeah. so <laughs> did you change your major in school or did you just start, I'm going to do my schoolwork but also pursue more of the animation route too?
1: I didn't change my major. I still did, went through with it. I did my Bachelor of Fine Art, I figured out how to finagle a, you just have to come up with a concept that goes with what you want to do, and then you can still do it. So I just focused on doing stuff that I thought was interesting. You don't have to can poop. You can, you can do whatever you want, really. <laughs> um, it's just that the focus is away from the technical things. So they're not teaching you perspective. They're not teaching you anatomy that much. They might touch on it like a little bit, but it's mostly just like, come up with a concept and then do the concept. So my concept was more technical. <laughs> okay.
0: I'm curious, were they teaching you the fundamentals too? I mean, I know you mentioned that perspective, but they were teaching you like light and color and a little tone bit and any of that, or was it more just whatever you guys want to learn, just go for it.
1: They did teach us some stuff. I took printmaking and that was very technical. It was really neat, like we did lithography, which is the original printmaking that made money. You work on a limestone and you're basically playing with how limestone can have two states. It can be water loving or oil loving. So if you put like an oil based ink on it, you can make part of the stone repel the ink. And it's one of the most detailed, especially back in the day, it was the most detailed form of printmaking and that was really cool. So we got to learn some technical things, but it wasn't a lot of the fundamentals. Like we did a bit of figure drawing and stuff, but not nearly as much as my friends that were in animation. They had it daily and we had it like for a few weeks.
2: (laughs) Do you think that non-traditional education kind of helped you develop your own style or do you wish that they had done something more traditional?
1: I don't know. <laughs> I don't regret my education. I just kind of wish in some respects that it was not so heavily Based on postmodernism, I did end up learning a lot of those fundamentals. Like, I already knew some of them because those classes I took as a kid, like, one of them was perspective when I was probably 12 or something. So, like, I did know about perspective. I wasn't completely in the dark.
0: I I don't know. (laughs) Sorry. No, that's okay. (laughs) No, we're always just curious because, you know, like, I went to animation school and Jeff went to film school. And some of our experiences are similar some are wildly different. And we found that with other guests where it really does depend, like you said, what you're coming there to learn, but also what you're bringing to it also. So like the classes that you took as a kid, but every school is different. And every teacher is different. Every class is different. And we've talked to people who said, oh, yes, I don't regret my education at all. And we've talked to other people who are like, man, school, waste of time. Don't do it. So it's just everything in between. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I did take a film course in, like, first year because we had a certain number of electives. And I took it as an elective thinking it would be, like, really fun. But it was actually really hardcore. Like, (laughs) But things I learned in that course just off the cuff come back all the time because it was it was very fundamentals of film and stuff so like you know the 180 rule for storyboarding that would come up and other things like travel direction and interesting things that exist in film and it's like even just things that are constantly referenced there's this one specific scene from like a super early a baby carriage going down the steps oh and that's reused all the time And it's just like before that course, I didn't know that. And there's tons of those in film. There's mm-hmm. tons of those all the time. And and everybody references everything. And I, I do it when I work on stuff. I reference somebody else's shot.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: some people might pick up on it, but other people might not. But it, it works because it's a good shot. You
0: know? Exactly. I know exactly what you're talking about. Right? When you said that, oh, I know that shot because it's mm-hmm. just... I think it's the first use of montage where the carriage falls, carriage falls, carriage falls and see the reaction and you see all the people yeah. and everybody looking at it.
1: Yeah. It's like a super old one. I know we had to watch it and then we watched like all the different places they reference it in film, mm-hmm. and There's so many. Oh, Did y'all yeah.
2: see the Untouchables? Yeah. The they're, Untouchables. Yeah. Like
0: and in
1: um, <laughs> uh, the Naked Gun series, they do it. I forget which one, but like they do it over and over again, like mm-hmm. as a joke. <laughs>
0: It's Leslie Nielsen. Yeah. Very cool. So you graduate from school. You do your project. goes very well. You said you got into animation. So yeah. what were some of the first either animation projects you worked on on your own or working full time?
1: So when I graduated, it was like really unfortunate because it was 2008. Um, oh, yeah. So there was like no jobs. And so I kept doing caricatures at the theme park that I was working at. And I was doing some other random things. I I worked at a place that they sold art to interior designers. So we would like make art and then like print it and stuff for these interior designers to match the couch. That kind of (coughs) art. Often it like it wasn't your favorite type of thing to make it because you're just trying to compliment the room. You're not trying to like make it the main piece. <laughs> but it was it was good at the time. And then I I was trying to get into animation. I was working on my own stuff. I kind of taught myself working on the computer and using Photoshop and all that stuff. And I got a job working at a place that made those videos for the start of websites that explain like the product. They're oh, called explainer. like the explainer videos? Yeah, explainer videos. Mm-hmm. So I, I worked for one of those and we just do really simple like designs and backgrounds and just like I would do all the designing and all the storyboards and then somebody else would animate it. Meanwhile, I was doing my own random learning animation in my own time trying to figure it out. I like sort of tried to make a game, but never finished it. But I feel like it was this stepping stone of me, like, oh, this is how you make a walk cycle. And this is how you make him swinging a sword or like all that stuff. And just bits and pieces that helped me learn what the heck i was doing
2: <laughs> <laughs> was it a flash game or a? Web no game? it
1: just or? didn't it my brother is actually a software engineer mm. and we were kind of working on it together but then it just stopped happening so it never really came to be a game i did do some silly dumb flash games mm-hmm. like on my own i made one that was like just it's so simple it was just a tamagotchi <laughs> basically and like there's like a character inside and i made it like a quote-unquote two player game one person would have the mouse and, and have to press the buttons but there's only one button and and it, you control the character and there's only one thing you could do you could move well two things i guess you can move left and right and you could poop and then the, <laughs> and the button would clean the poop that nice. was like the game that i made <laughs> it's just a joke really yeah, uh, it's
0: still fun it's like look yeah. i made this yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I made some other stupid things.
0: What was it called?
1: (laughs) Clean my poopy instead of... (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's very... You know what? It's like, this is what this game is. (laughs) Very explicit, right there.
1: Yeah. And then while I was working at that other job doing um, explainer videos, I had known about Loop de Loop for a while because my friends, a couple of my friends have done them, and I decided to do one. And then I went to the screening out here I didn't win the first one or several of them that I did, but I just kept doing them and people noticed. And that's from doing Loop to Loop is really how I got into like a real studio. So that was cool.
0: That's (laughs) fantastic. And you said it was here. So had you already moved down to the LA area? Yeah,
1: I had moved for that other job, the internet explainer videos. Okay. I had moved for that and then I was already down here.
0: So how did you get your first job through Loop to Loop? What was it that happened with
1: that? I had submitted one and I came to the screening and I guess they didn't know who I was <laughs> at the screening. But after the screening, one of the people that organized it at the time, she <laughs> no longer organizes it now. Joanna, she used to work in development at Nickelodeon. And then the other person that organized it was Megan. And she was at Jib Jab at the time. And eventually she went to Cartoon Network to work in... Uh, people
0: <laughs> oh recruitment recruitment yeah
1: she was a recruiter at cartoon network but yeah joanna sent me an email and was like oh do you want to pitch something and it was like yeah except uh, i could use a job you know <laughs> So I guess I just went in the pile of people that were interesting at Nickelodeon. Cause re- recruitment and development, they kind of talk to each other a lot because they're both looking for artists, right? So eventually I was asked to do a test for Pig Goat Banana Cricket at Nickelodeon. And I got the job. So that was for background painting.
0: <laughs> that was cool. So what was it like working in a studio doing background painting? It was
1: really fun. It was it was very different from what I had done before because prior to that I just work on my own, you know, and I do everything. Whereas now I'm like just in charge of this small piece. I didn't know this before I kind of got here and learned about things, but they break it up. The painters don't usually do the design. Sometimes they do, but usually they're just in charge of coloring it in. And it's like I had never really done that before, just colored in somebody else's drawing. So it was neat. And then learning also ways to do it fast was really cool because especially for painting, you have to kind of learn Photoshop pretty in depth. You learn weird ways to do things. And like my art director taught us to do this one way of doing it. And I think it's really neat. And it's a way that you can make it so everything is its own separate block of color and anything can be changed at any point in time without having to repaint it.
0: Oh, okay. Were they doing like masks or?
1: Yeah. You basically paint almost everything on one layer sometimes certain things have to be on its own separate layer but almost everything is on one layer but it's painted aliased so like normally it's anti-aliased and that makes a blurry thing between two colors Mm -hmm. and if you make it aliased you see like the pixel steps and it looks really bad if you're drawing but if it's painted behind the line layer you don't see it like it's just not there Mm -hmm. it's hidden So you block in everything and all aliased, and then you can easily select anything you want and just like adjust the color. Nice. So it makes it really easy to adjust. And then when you want to do shadows and stuff, you want the shadows to be anti-aliased. You don't want them to be like harsh pixel steps. You want those to be more smooth. So what you do is you duplicate your paint layer that has everything on it. And you, say, for shadows, you darken it. And you can darken it however you want. And you can even change specific colors if you want. You're like, oh, that dark color of that weird one thing looks (laughs) strange. (laughs) You know, if you make everything purplish, sometimes... I don't know, certain colors look strange. Like if it's skin tone, purple over it, it mm-hmm. looks a little weird. You want to warm it up. Yeah. You duplicate it and then you mask it so it's invisible. And then you can just select each little block of color and like paint your mask. Paint in where you want your shadow to be. And you can still grab any of those colors and change them. So if the creator or the art director doesn't like your color, they can easily just grab it and change it without nice. like That's having cool. to tell you to do it. They can just do it.
0: Nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, it's like, all right, now I have to repaint. So like, nope, just pick this one. Done.
1: Yeah. I mean, it doesn't work for everything. It doesn't really work. There's no line work. So I worked after Piggoat, I worked on um, Pinky Malinky and we didn't do it like that. It was more just like everything's separate. You have to organize your file and and it's a million layers, but like that's just the beast. You know, (laughs) every show is a bit different.
0: And speaking of every show being different... How did you adjust going from one show to another show and learning how to deal with different people's styles and personalities?
1: The hardest part is the test. So when you're like testing to go on to another show, all of a sudden you have to be like, I know I normally do this because the creator really likes it this way. They like these colors. And you have to kind of look at the new material and figure out what it is they want and figure out how you're going to do that style. Because what you were doing on the previous show doesn't necessarily work for the new show. So (laughs) You have to like go through this time of adjustment and most of that is during the test, testing for the new show, unless you're lucky enough to not have to test for the new show. But then it's just like once you're in the job, it's figuring out how to do that new style fast because in the test, you have more time than you normally do to do the piece. Like usually you have a week to do a test and maybe there's like one or two backgrounds where really like you should be doing, if it's an establishing shot, maybe it will take you all day, but you should be doing multiple backgrounds a day, like four, you know, Mm -hmm. unless it's a big shot, you should be doing a lot. So getting that speed is the thing.
0: And then on your shows, how many background painters are typically on a show?
1: It depends on the show. On both the shows I worked on at Nickelodeon, there were a lot of background painters on the shows that I were on. They were, I think it was partly because they were both heavy painting shows. So on Pig Goat, there was four of us. On Pinky, there was four of us. So. There was a lot of us. But then I went to Cartoon Network and I was the only one.
0: Yeah, I was just curious because I know like on our show there's three, but I know that that's not typical. And I've heard of some shows just have one and some have <laughs> more, just depending. So I was just wondering if there's a certain number of people tend to go with or not.
1: I think a lot of shows will have like two I think that's kind of normal, but I don't really know. I know that being on two shows that had four was like kind of unheard of. Mm. (laughs) That's a lot. And then I went to a show where I was the only one except for freelance. So I guess technically there was another one because there was a lot of freelance given out, but.
0: Okay. Yeah. I want to talk about that, but before that, or maybe Cartoon Network comes first, when did you pitch your short and then when did you go to Cartoon Network? What is the timeline for that? Because you did a short for Nickelodeon. Yeah. It's called Dog and Squirrel. For those of you who have not seen it, it is absolutely delightful. So you should pause the podcast and go and watch it and come back. But I really want to talk about it because I love that short.
1: Yeah, I pitched it when I was still on Pig Goat. I believe it was 2015 when I pitched it, like early 2015. like February or March. And then I heard that I got it in the summer. It was like June or July of that year. And then it took a while to get going and it was finished the following year, a year from when we actually started working on it, I think. I'm not exactly sure. It's a long time, but I did the short entirely when I was still working at Nickelodeon. So I didn't work at Cartoon Network until after it was done. Okay. Yeah. But it actually was released when I was working at Cartoon Network, so okay. it's like yeah,
0: so remember you got to come back and watch it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's good. We have a lot of people that are interested in pitching. I know I've pitched, you're interested in pitching different things. I, I think you've already pitch. have yes. you already pitched I anything? haven't yet. Okay. Yeah. I know you were close to that and we've had other people. So for those who are really interested in wanting to do that, what is the pitch process like? Or at least what was it like for you?
1: For me, the year that I pitched for the shorts program, they really stressed on boards, doing storyboards. Not everywhere stresses that that much. And also you could go as far as you wanted with doing the boards. The minimum is like what they call a beat board. And that's just kind of, you know, you could have four or five, six just illustrations of main things that happen during whatever's happening or you could do like a full board and i did a full board i did the whole board for the short and then i finished it the day before i was going to pitch and i was like i had done it in flash because i had flash at home i didn't have storyboard pro and i didn't know how to use storyboard pro so i had it sort of timed out when i was boarding it because flash is kind of an animation program and you can time it out in flash so it was already timed out. So I just made an animatic. (laughs) 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 And so when I went to the pitch, I didn't have to really do anything, which is good for me, because it kind of scared me, the idea of like performing the pitch, which a lot of, people do perform the pitch and that will sell it. So I was not that confident about performing it. So it was kind of nice to be like, and press play and watch your reaction to it. Let the film
0: wash over (laughs) you.
2: Yeah. Put in sound effects and music and voice. No
1: music. I did voices and they were terrible. I had like a terrible (laughs) mic at the time, something that was on like a headset and there was weird clicking. I don't know, bad mics are really bad. So I did the voices and I think I made some sound effects or whatever, but it worked. It like sold it. And it was funny because I kind of just went in and I was like, it's these characters, dog and a squirrel and watch the movie now. (laughs) 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 And then they were kind of like, yeah, it's really self-explanatory because it was all flushed out and they didn't have a lot of questions for me. They asked me what kind of music I'd want and I hadn't really thought of that. So it was like, uh, this is some music, y <laughs> music.
0: <laughs> you know, animation music. Yeah, <laughs> something. <they sound>
1: <laughs> but yeah, it went really well. They didn't tell me that I needed to change things. I also kind of knew certain things about pitching. I had pitched once previously with some ideas and it was before they wanted boards and it just it wasn't super like I wasn't doing it super seriously at the time. The first time i did it but it, it just got me used to what they're kind of looking for for instance if you pitch something that has a lot of adults in it for a kids show like they're going to tell you to make them younger they're going to tell you to make them 12 it's usually the top end of whatever the age group is that's the age they want the characters to be so i wasn't going to pitch adults because I, <laughs> I knew they don't want that yeah they also care more about characters than they do the world mm. a lot of people make the mistake of coming in with this long thing about how the world works and everything. And then they just kind of throw in some characters as an afterthought and they don't really flush them out and they don't tell you how they act when really the characters are going to carry the show. And if the characters aren't interesting and like different from each other, it's not going to work that well. Mm. <laughs> You're going to not know how to make the show happen because <laughs> it's their interaction that is going to make it.
0: That's really good advice. Yeah, and I've heard that from them too. And sometimes I hear that people make it really complicated complicated like they have this really high concept thing which sounds cool but then and this is not a knock to kids but they are kids so at a certain point you have to go okay you need to scale that back they are very intelligent but like you said they are six to twelve so you have to make it so that it's you know make this for them don't make it for like this 45 year old man or woman over here that's going Mm -hmm. through something you know make (laughs) it for a child
1: yeah yeah I mean, you could pitch something for adult show, but, mm-hmm. you know, that has its own thing. Yeah, <laughs> It's different. But, yeah, focus on the characters. If you come with a... I just mostly came with my boards. That was what I came in with. But some places want, like, more of a Bible, just, like, written up things about each of the characters and all that stuff. And if you're going to write up something about each of the characters, it's good to have a lot of information on the characters. And then the same amount for one character would be your description of the world. So if it's more than that, it's just too much and they don't really need it. And then like episode ideas and stuff like that is good to have.
0: (laughs) Okay. So once the pitch was bought, once they said, yes, we want you to make this, how did you manage your time? Because you're working full-time, but you're also working on a short film at the same time. So how did you get all of that together so that you were able to do both?
1: Well, at first it was actually really light because I had already done all my boards and they didn't really ask me to change a lot at all. Because mostly it was already to time. If you pitch something that's too long, they'll ask you to cut it down to the amount of time they've allotted for the budget and for the nickelodeon shorts it was two to three minutes so if you pitch something that was like 11 minutes long you had to cut it down to three minutes which is like you know less than a third mm-hmm. almost a quarter
0: yeah all your <laughs> so. a b c d f plots is like let's cut that down to
1: a Yeah, I mean, 11 minutes is short to begin with. So like cutting it down to three minutes is a lot. And mine didn't need to be cut down. And there was only like a few things about a couple scenes they wanted me to change. But they weren't like huge notes. They were just kind of like this part's a little confusing change this one scene and then it's like we want to know if you watch the short there's like a plant creature they were like we want to know what happened to the plant creature so i just show them at the end Mm -hmm. that's all like (laughs) this
2: is what happened happened. he's just around yeah he's He's okay (laughs) (laughs) nothing bad
0: happened to
1: him. so yeah so i had like two storyboard notes so that was really light i did those one night and then it was like okay moving on (laughs) And somebody else did the real animatic, so I just had to approve it and stuff. It was cool, like I got to do casting and all that stuff, and and that was easy to manage my time. It was it got hard when I started when it got to the part that I wanted to do myself because I wanted to do a lot of the design because I like doing design. I didn't want to hand that to somebody else, and they wanted it really quickly. And I had a full time job, so I was basically for the few weeks that they wanted me to work on it, I was just working on the weekends, and then I'd wake up early before my job started on weekdays and I would work for like two hours in the morning and then I would work my eight hours and I would go home and work until like I couldn't work anymore and then I'd go to sleep and start all over and I did that for like two weeks for sure. I did it more than that a bit. It was just kind of weird. The timing was They wanted all the characters, props, and effects before the Christmas break, so like I had two weeks to complete that, and then they wanted all the backgrounds two weeks after we came back from the break. And the backgrounds was the heaviest part. And I I did have some help with the backgrounds. I would have gotten more help, except when you come up with the design sensibility like yourself, you have to find somebody that can copy it. And you don't have any time to train them (laughs) because they're like, they want it now. Mm -hmm. So some people had somebody else just come up with a design and they could just hire them. Whereas me, it was like I was trying to find somebody that could just copy what I was doing under very, like, short notice. Mm
0: -hmm. Or I don't have to train you and I do it. Yeah. It's done the way that you want it done.
1: Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. even if you get somebody else to do it, you have to sign off on it. Mm -hmm. So it is done the way that you want it to be done. It's just how. (laughs) (laughs)
2: how did that work did they give you a budget so you could hire people or did they say hey we have these people who can help you if you need it
1: there was a budget I don't really know what the budget is because you know you have a line producer and Mm -hmm. they do that work so they're just kind of like if you do it yourself you get paid for doing it and if you get somebody else to do it they get paid for doing it so so I got I got paid for the design work I did
0: That's good. That's good. And it turned out very well. So you worked on two different shows, you made your short, then you made your way over to Cartoon Network. Yeah. So what were you working on over at Cartoon Network?
1: I was working on a show called Apple and Onion, and it's actually coming out this Friday. Oh, very good. So that's exciting. Yeah. And I was doing painting on it. I did some design. They hired me as like a background artist. So like technically my job, it was like umbrellaed both, but the art director kind of wanted us to more specialize. Mm -hmm. So there was two of us that were background artists and the other girl, she was mostly designing and I was mostly painting. And like sometimes we do the other part, but it can be slower if you're not
0: specialized
1: to do both yourself, depending.
0: Okay. So what's new for you now? Like now that, you know, Apple and Onion is about to come out, shorts are out, the other shows are, you know, going to be coming out soon. What are you currently working on?
1: Well, I'm finished on Apple and Onion and I have done some freelance for another show at Cartoon Network called Summer Camp Islands.
0: Oh, very cool.
1: Other than that, right now, I'm just looking. Thing is, when you're in animation, I mean unless you're lucky and you end up on something that just goes on forever. Every year or six months or whatever it is, you're gonna be out of work and you have to look for a new job. So that's where I am right now.
2: Are you thinking about new loop-de-loops right
1: now? I did one for the last one, which was bug. And I've sort of thought of the next one. I've also, because I'm off and I have time, I just decided to, like, work on something. I made friends at, I went to CTN and I met a composer there that was like, hey, you want to collaborate? And I was like, sure, (laughs) making music is something I don't do. (laughs) I mean, I like music and I can sort of make a little bit of music because I did play in high school band or whatever. What
0: would you play in high school?
1: I played flute. Nice. Yeah, so i kind of just working on a a short thing. I don't know. It's it's a fox doing stuff to music. (laughs) We'll see where it goes. It's kind of more like, I just wanted to start making something, because I don't like sitting around doing nothing. I think
0: that's everyone in the industry. If we're not at a studio job, we're at home. It's like, all right, what children's book, comic book, animated short, pitch, gif? Mm video game could I be doing right now
1: yeah I'm trying to think of something maybe to pitch but you know I was just thinking about it trying to come up with something I don't have anything solid yet mm-hmm. you know always the studios when you've pitched stuff before and they're like poking you like hey do you have anything to pitch now and it's <laughs> like
0: uh no <laughs> yeah. so that's kind of cool though that they're contacting you saying hey we remember you yeah whenever you're ready come on back i mean like
1: after my short came out with nickelodeon you know cartoon network because i was working there it was like hey <laughs> you could pitch something here too and it's like okay yeah, <laughs> but i don't have anything in mind to pitch at the moment we'll see
2: well, how do you come up with your ideas? Because I noticed I watched a bunch of your shorts and your loop de loops and it seems you have this kind of ultra cute characters with kind of a twisted yeah, <laughs> idea terrible, terrible in there. things yeah. happen, which is hysterical.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I, I like to come up with some kind of joke and the joke might not be dad humor or whatever. Mm. <laughs> like not something specifically a joke. Like, there was one I did for the theme chicken, and I was just like, I'll just make chickens dancing to dubstep music, because that sounds funny. I love that one. Mm -hmm. It's just a funny juxtaposition, really. So a lot of my jokes are just like that. Or sometimes I'm just like, how can I make this a poop joke? Because (laughs) everybody likes poop jokes. I was going to ask you about that, too. It seems like there's a poop
2: theme a little bit going through some of My favorite is...
0: The one with the chickens for sure. Uh-huh. And my second one is the one with the scrambled eggs or the, oh, the eggs yeah. over easy because yeah. they, they crack and they're so happy. Yeah. And then it takes a turn and you're going, oh, but it's funny the entire time. You know, it's pretty great.
1: Yeah. And I also yeah. like using the shots as humor. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if you can figure out how to make the shot itself funny, don't just make it the most generic version of the shots that you can do. It's like, how can you play with that and the sound and, and everything to just work together to make it a joke? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you do that really well.
2: Because yeah. like on the egg one, yeah, it's like they start screaming. So their little egg way... But then the shot cuts to the coffee maker, mm-hmm. and I thought that was so. Yeah, and you just hear them scream. Yeah, you still as, hear them as scream, as but the coffee, coffee and like, you're just like, yeah, oh, it's like this mundane thing is happening. Someone's getting breakfast ready, but these, <laughs> these eggs are. Little having, did you know, yeah.
0: like you're, you're yeah. going about your day, but it's like torture for something
2: to Oh, and speaking about that chicken short, I saw that you put up some tutorials too. Is that something you like to do is teach or?
1: Yeah, I, um, that was actually the last time I was not working. (laughs) I was like, I'll make YouTube tutorials. I like watching YouTube stuff. I like people making content and I was making that chicken loop-de-loop and I was like, I'll just record myself making it and like make some tutorials. I, I want to make some more. I'm actually working on one now because I have time again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's fun. I like giving people tips and stuff. I don't like hoarding them for myself. That's really <laughs> I, cool. I like telling people like, oh yeah, there's this cool way you can do things and it makes everything easier. Yeah, that's
2: awesome. It's like, let us
0: help you simplify.
1: Yeah, every once in a while, as an artist, you always find out something that blows your mind, and you're just like, oh, I can do it that way. And it just makes all the pain and suffering. <laughs> <laughs> like for perspective, right? It's kind of annoying, especially when you have two point perspective, when your vanishing points are way off the screen on mm-hmm. both sides. It's like, how do you get it set up? And there's all these grids and annoying stuff that you can try and use but on Photoshop you can just go to the star tool and make it this star that has like a million points and the indentation that it goes to is the maximum Mm -hmm. so it's just like this Starburst coming out from the middle and you can grab the middle and just throw it way off your screen and then you have all these like lines that go to your vanishing point and you can just kind of trace them <laughs> that
0: sounds so nice that sounds yeah, so I, <laughs> like oh yay thank you <laughs> yeah
2: i could have used that to
0: yeah <laughs> we will start using well, that too me. and everyone else yeah that. it's like oh that's uh, yeah that's- i,
2: just I just saw
1: somebody doing it mm-hmm. somewhere i worked and i was like wow that's smarter than what i've been doing <laughs> yeah. or like you know avoiding perspective because it's a pain mm-hmm. so it's like oh, i can do perspective and not be a pain yeah
2: yeah i also saw that you're doing some merch for conventions like the little fish that you're doing a little sculpture yeah
1: i signed up to do ctn it was like the first time i had decided to table since a long time like i had tabled before i got into the industry and i was like okay i'm gonna do this again and i I didn't feel like just selling prints because everybody does that. And Mm -hmm. I feel like there's just like an abundance of it in them, especially at CTN. It's all these artists. I was like, what can I make? And I decided to sculpt these little fish things and birds too. And then I casted them. I learned casting in school. So I did that and made them into like these little magnets.
2: Yeah, they're super cool.
0: And what are your recommendations for tabling? Because a lot of people Mm -hmm. want to go to conventions and they want to sell merchandise and get to know people, but they don't always know how.
1: One thing is to prepare way ahead of time. Don't just leave it to the last weekend to figure out what you're going to sell because you're going to try and get prints and you can't. I mean, you could go to Walgreens and get four by sixes. (laughs) (laughs) But if you're tabling, you want to figure out what you're doing like way ahead of time and start making stuff. I suggest making stuff that you would want to buy. Like I know personally, I don't really buy that many prints because I have a lot of art myself. Like I'll, I'll maybe buy some books. I'll buy other just neat things. If I see a mug I really like, it's like, oh yeah, that's a cool mug. So, or the magnets things. It's, it's something that I bought at DesignerCon the previous year. <laughs> Somebody had made these little magnets and I was like, that's really cool. So I bought one. I wasn't even thinking of tabling at the time. And then when I was going to table, it's like, I can make magnets. <laughs> (laughs) I could have something different than everybody else. Yeah, don't try and corner a market that you don't like because you're probably not going to do a very good job at it because you don't like it. If you don't like making comics, don't make a comic. But if you love making comics, yeah, go ahead make a comic. (laughs) And try and figure out some way to do it that you can buy it for cheap and sell it for more than you spent on it or else you're not going to make any money, especially when you have to pay hundreds of dollars for the table. It's really hard to sell enough stuff to make up for the table and all your costs and everything. So... Yeah, finding stuff you can do for cheap. (laughs) Okay.
0: And do you have recommendations for talking to people? Because a lot of people, the idea of, you know, you have all these strangers or just all these different people in the industry and students coming by tends to make people really nervous. So do you have a method for just talking to people so that you're comfortable around them?
1: Yeah, I did caricatures for years and my thing was... Don't bug people that don't want to be bugged, mm-hmm. but be friendly and just smile at people and just say hi. Don't try and like shove your merch on them and be like, buy my things. Just be like, oh, hi. Maybe ask them a few questions. If they seem like they don't want to talk to you, like don't push it on them because they'll probably run away. <laughs> <laughs> but like if they seem interested, talk to them about whatever. And I had actually my loop-de-loops playing at CTM. I had it on a screen, mm-hmm. like, like I brought my crappy TV and it was the kind like a smart tv you could plug in like a usb thing so i just had all my loops in a playlist and i just plugged it in the usb on the side and i just had it play i it was kind of annoying because it didn't have an automatic replay button so it wouldn't loop through them all the time but i just had them play and then i'd have to look over every once in a while and tell it to play again But yeah, just having stuff, say hi, be friendly, smile, don't look miserable. That's like a big thing. (laughs) Don't look like, like, I know it sucks. It Mm -hmm. sucks to sit there and not have food. And and you want to be miserable. Like, I mean, you can draw if you want, but try and be happy. Like people are very empathetic, more so than we realize, I think. If you see a happy person, you want to talk to them. You want to be happy. If you see a miserable person, you're just like, nope. No, I'm gone. If anything, you're just like,
0: oh, that's so sad. Walk past it.
1: Yeah. I don't try and, like, force people to buy stuff because that makes people run away. Just, mm. if they want to buy stuff, they'll buy stuff. Just mm. be happy. Be pleasant. Be nice. And usually if somebody stands there and talks to you for 20 minutes, they're probably going to buy something because mm-hmm. they took up that much of your time. Mm-hmm. But actually, a lot of the people that bought a lot of stuff didn't talk to me at all. They were just like, I want this and this and this and this and this thing and like a pile of things. It's like, oh, Christmas gifts for people. Okay. like How much is that? Okay, cool. Like, here's my credit card. so <laughs>
2: like oh okay nice. <laughs> <You> <laughs> like didn't they didn't even have to work for it <laughs> yeah i didn't have to do anything i was like okay <laughs> yeah, i'm glad that you love everything you creating have a lovely day <laughs> yeah wow. so what's yeah. your favorite convention
1: i don't know i haven't done that many uh i did ctn back in canada i did one that was called fan expo it's kind of like a comic-con type thing it was okay it was different than I expected because I made some fan art specifically for it because I knew that was like the thing because it's fan expo. It's all like fan art and stuff. And I ended up not selling that much of my fan art. I sold mostly my other stuff. <laughs> my personal stuff I just did and I had prints of and I was like, here, do you like it? And yeah, people liked it and I sold that. But I liked CTM better because it was more animation people and I'm really passionate about that. So that was... Fun. I've signed up for the Fan Alley one, so oh, I'll be cool. at that. Yeah. We'll be there. Yay. That's awesome. <laughs> I went last year for the first time. Like I just checked it out, and... Yeah, I ran into some people I already knew, and I was like, I should do this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, Why aren't I doing this? And if you're a professional, it's free, so that is a bonus, like, way cheaper than tabling other places. I haven't done Comic-Con. I don't know if I want to. (laughs) It's it's like a lot of work. (laughs) And it's also, it's hard when it's more expensive, because it's like, you have to make that much more money to make it break even. And then after you've broken even, you have to make more money on top of that. Mm -hmm. So that's difficult
0: I'm glad you're going to be at Fan Alley. Yeah. it's exciting. So I'm curious too, you know, you moved from Canada and we have a lot of listeners that are from Canada and other countries. And so do you have any recommendations for people when they move to the States of just things that you learned or things that you had to get used to that you think might be helpful for others?
1: Well, Canada is not that different from the, (laughs) the States. I mean, the gun laws are different and I did have to get a visa to work here. So that's something, but the visas from Canada are pretty easy to get if you are a professional working in your field for more than three years, or if you have a bachelor's degree in your field. Those are like the two things that if you have those, it's easy to get a job. If you don't, it's really hard to get a job. It's really hard to get a visa. I mean, I had a bachelor's degree in my field, so I was able to get a visa. So that's like the hardest hurdle. And then it's just like, I mean, it's a little bit different la is different for sure um it's not ever cold here (laughs) and there's also like maybe it's just different cities are different there's some parts here where it's like a really rich neighborhood next to a really poor neighborhood so you have to like know where to move so that you're not in the scary area and not knowing what those areas are and where is okay to move it's like you have to get somebody that already lives there and be like, hey, I'm looking at apartments. Is this place okay? Like, if I move there, is somebody gonna mug me? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or am I going to be okay? So yeah, it's figuring that out. It's expensive to live here. It wasn't super cheap where I came from to live like in Toronto. It's really, really expensive too. So if you move from somewhere where it's much cheaper to live, Mm -hmm. it's gonna be like, oh, I get a tiny hole in the wall apartment and I pay more than I would to rent a house where I'm from, like yeah. sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. So dealing with those costs and traffic is kind of scary out here. I mean, Toronto has this traffic. We have that, but it stresses me out more to drive here. Yeah. So, if you have a job, move close to work. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, turn signals are, like, optional for a lot of people <laughs> yeah. around here. It's just like, oh, you wanted, oh, you're moving over now, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, like, people are very aggressive and
0: mm-hmm. all that
1: fun stuff and there's like five ways to get anywhere so you always have to use your navigation because one way might be horrible traffic and then the other way is not as bad but like if you have a long commute to get to somewhere like I mean I never had to commute this way but if you go to like the west side over by the beach I think there's four different routes that Google has taken me <laughs> mm-hmm. that just depends on the traffic and yeah you Don't really get to just drive
0: for fun. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. This this is not the city where I I love to drive, but this is definitely not the hey, if you love driving, move to LA. It's like, no, 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 no. no." Because when I lived in Denver, I used to just drive all around. Yeah. I want to drive to the mountains today because you can. So it's like, I'm just going to drive to the mountains. Like one day I did. It was great. You know, or it's like, I just want to drive downtown really late at night and look at all the lights because you can because it's great. Here, it'd be like, why? Yeah, yeah it's like, don't, that. Don't, do yeah. that. don't
1: do that. You no. might get in an accident.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. like, no, you're, you're going from point A to point B for a specific purpose for yeah. a specific time. Mm-hmm.
1: And you're gripping your steering wheel really hard the whole time. Mm-hmm. And like, you're holding your shoulders up and you're you're getting a sore back from the stress. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you're right, too, about places to live, because that's something that, I mean, you look at a place on Craigslist or Rent.com or Hotpads, and it's like, oh, this place seems great, but you're really not going to know until you're there, and you're there at night, mm-hmm. or during the day, and you're like, this place looks bad during the day. Yeah. During yeah. the day, this doesn't look safe. Okay, no thanks. Yeah. yeah.
2: So. Or whether it's going to be, like, upstream or downstream from the traffic. Yeah. That you need to get to in the morning, you know, mm-hmm. to do yeah. job. Yeah. So, yeah. So...
0: That was very good well good to know all right so i always like to ask people at the end if you could go back in time and tell young andrea any advice or encouragement if there was anything in particular that you would say to your younger self
1: yeah i don't know because it turned out okay i don't know if i'd tell myself to do things differently like maybe i'd say like you should really consider animation out of high school because i ended up doing that but i don't know if younger me would have listened (laughs) yeah because i would have been like no i know best i i don't need to be doing that animation stuff but also be patient because i was frustrated after school because i was trying to get work and it was the recession and awful i just had to be patient and it happened eventually Mm -hmm. and keep working I think sometimes when you're working, you feel like, oh, I've done enough work. Can't I just get the dream job now? It's like, no, you have to keep working and you're not the greatest yet. You can get there. You still need to work Mm -hmm. and eventually you'll get there. (laughs) You just have to keep working.
0: That is excellent. Well, Andrew, you've been so generous with your time. Thank you so much for coming out and telling us about your life and your experience and your very, very good advice. Thanks. Thank you again. Thank you. And that concludes today's interview. Special thanks to Andrea for being a wonderful guest. And make sure to check out all of her videos and her work in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave a positive review in iTunes. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. And you can also support the show by visiting www.theanimatedjourney.com and clicking on the PayPal donation button on the right-hand side and leaving a donation. All of your donations help us to pay for the technical costs associated with running the podcast. And if you want to see what else is going on in the world of animation, make sure to check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash theanimatedjourney. On Tumblr, the site is theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com and on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at animjourney. And to see what Jeff has been up to lately, you can visit his website at www.jeffbot.com. That's J-E-F-B-O-T. On Tumblr, the site is jeffbot.tumblr.com. On Twitter, the handle is at jeffbot. And on Instagram, the handle is at shootzee, and that's S-H-O-O-T-Z-E-E. And to see what I've been up to lately, you can visit my website, www.sketchysoul.com on tumblr the site is sketchysoul.tumblr.com and on instagram and twitter the handle is at sketchysoul so thank you to everyone for listening and until next time be encouraged and have a great day everybody